T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. I am a huge advocate of individuals donating blood. It's still safe for everyone to take the time to donate blood. There are tons of individuals, members of the community, as well as patients that need blood. So it's still a safe option to do. There are specific guidelines at those institutions to donate uh, blood, to adhere and keep everybody safe. So my humble suggestion to everyone is if you have the opportunity, please continue to donate blood. That's Dr. Chris Colbert, ER doctor and director of the Emergency Medicine Residency Program at the University of Illinois, Chicago. This is WBBM's In-Depth, where we take a deep dive into a story we're telling on the air. I'm Cisco Cotto. This week, we continue our ongoing discussion on COVID-19 and its lasting impact on the economy and the way we live our lives. Back to school season is drawing near. We'll talk about a realistic return plan for Chicago area schools. We'll also check in with an ER doctor to discuss the importance of maintaining proper health during the pandemic. The COVID crisis has impacted the way people conduct business. That includes more Zoom and telemeetings and a lot less in-person visits, conventions, and trips. A travel expert joins us to discuss how U.S. airlines face the end of business travel as they know it. Got change? We'll take a look at what's behind the national coin shortage. It's even prompted one Wisconsin bank to implement a coin buyback program. We'll get all of those details. Many folks clamoring for the return of live professional sports, including Major League Baseball. It kicks off this week. Danny Ecker from Crane's Chicago Business will talk about what fans can expect. First, let's get the latest, though, on the COVID crisis. Michelle Cortez, health reporter with Bloomberg News, is joining us. Michelle, we have some new data that is being collected specifically about antibodies and how long they may last. I know often people assume if they get a virus, once they get through it, they're fine. They can never get it again. It's looking like with COVID-19, that may not be the case. Right. It is still very early days here, Cisco, but we are seeing some evidence that those antibodies decline for patients who have a mild infection pretty rapidly. About half the antibodies that you produce are gone within three months, actually just 72 days. And in some patients, they don't produce antibodies at all. Now, what would that do as far as if there's a vaccine? I mean, it seems like that would make a vaccine a little less potent. Exactly. Well, there's two pieces when we think about how we're going to eventually control this virus. One piece is with vaccination. And what a vaccine does is it exposes your immune system to a tiny piece of the virus, something that's small or inactivated so that it doesn't make you sick, but that it gives your immune system an early heads up. So that if you actually come across the virus, those antibodies and your T cells will say, oh, I know what that is and I'm going to kill it before it does any harm. 
So that's one thing. The other one is if you've actually been infected, it's the same process. Your body has fought it off. It's fought it off with antibodies and immune system cells. And if those things don't stick around in both cases, that means that your immunity is not going to last. And so that means, I guess, that uh, you'd be in a situation where, I mean, might they have to find something different with a vaccine, something that might work a little better, or is the vaccine pretty much whatever it is? You get a little of the virus and, you know, it does whatever it's going to do. Well, again, it's very early days, so we don't know how it's going to last in other people who maybe had a more severe case of coronavirus Also, it might just be unfortunate that these patients didn't produce antibodies. This study was very small. It only involved 34 patients. And so it could be that other people have have better results. Also, vaccine makers know what they're doing. They have other pieces of technology and equipment that they can use to boost the vaccine. They have these adjuvants that make it more powerful. They might be able to stretch that out. There's also antibody therapies that are in development, and those ones are just pulling out the specifics of the antibody that would actually help you fight an infection if you had it. So it's not all bad news. Is there, it is just worrisome. Well, it sure is. And it makes it seem less likely that we would be able to get to herd immunity, which it was going to be tough to get that in the first place. But if you have people getting the virus and then they have the ability to get it again, it seems like herd immunity is just something that's not going to happen. Right. And there was actually news out on that as well. The CDC looked at 10 different metropolitan areas across the country, and it looked at how many cases there was. There, it looked at how many cases there were of coronavirus given the outbreak that was happening at the time. And those levels varied dramatically, but they also found that there was a lot more virus and a lot more infections than we realized right away. But even still, the numbers are very small. So take New York City, for example, everybody knows that they were completely just inundated and overwhelmed in March and April. But even there, about 7% of the population was infected. And experts say that you have to have between 60 and 70% of the population that has been infected, that has immunity, that's produced these antibodies. And the reason that that is, is so that the virus can't jump from one person to another and keep itself alive by infecting people. As it comes to the country in these real hot spots, I know here in Illinois, it seems like it's younger people that are getting sick, younger people getting the new infections uh, is that a trend that we are actually seeing young people for whatever reason? I mean, maybe they think, you yeah, know, I'm not going to get too sick, so it doesn't matter. Uh, are we seeing that a rise in younger cases? We are seeing a rise in younger cases. A lot more kids are now being diagnosed, and we're not entirely sure if that's because the virus itself is spreading more heavily among young people if they're gathering together more often or if we're just detecting them. So if you think back to what was happening early in the outbreak, they closed down all the schools, they closed down all the bars, they closed down all the restaurants, and a lot of people weren't seeing each other. So it slowed that infection. And we saw a lot of cases come, for example, out of nursing homes where all of those people did remain together and they have a higher risk. So it makes sense that we would have seen less infection in the younger people. Also, we weren't testing as many people back then, and we were only testing people who are very sick. And we know that the virus doesn't make healthy people. I'm sorry, we know that the virus doesn't make 
young people as sick as it does older people. So they wouldn't have been tested. So they might have just been asymptomatic. They might have been in the population and just nobody knew. So is it a matter that we're catching more of them or is it a matter that they're actually having increasing levels? We don't really know. And that is something that we have to figure out so that we can control it going forward. As more young people get coronavirus, that has a lot of parents worried about school being in session again in the fall. Is there a way to do it safely? Let's talk with Dr. Chris Colbert about it. He is an ER doctor and director of the Emergency Medicine Residency Program at the University of Illinois, Chicago. Uh, Hearing more and more, especially among high school districts, that getting in person is just not going to work, at least early on. Well, you know, that's a great point. Um, It's easy to say, it's safe to say that for those schools that are um, having in-person class for those schools that adhere to the suggestions of both the CDC and the American Academy of Pediatrics, maintaining desk space as well as donning a uh, face mask will significantly decrease or mitigate the risk of transmission. But in those areas that are at really high risk and high incidence of COVID, it's best to somewhat pause and identify ways in which you can best decrease um, any spread of the virus. And in a high school, you have kids between classes, I mean, all over the place in the halls. Seems very different there than in an elementary school classroom where the students stay in the same class all day. You know, it does. It does. But however, there are certain ideas and policies that can significantly decrease the contact and exposure and still maintain school. Um, One of them is just decreasing the class sizes, possibly using two classes for what one class initially uh, was held for one class, as well as ensuring that there is one way in and one way out um, of certain uh, gymnasiums, certain entrances to decrease, again, the contact and exposure. One thing I want to ask you about is the blood supply, because it's something we've been hearing reports about. Uh, you have the Red Cross and other organizations saying, hey, we need blood. We need blood. Is, is there a supply issue going on? Hey, I'm glad you've asked me that question, because I am a huge advocate of uh, individuals donating blood. Um, due to COVID, there is significant hesitation of individuals just going to the hospital or utilizing any sort of medical resources. And it is by definition because of COVID. My suggestion to everyone is it's still safe uh, for everyone to take the time to donate blood. Uh, there are tons of individuals, members of the community, as well as patients that need blood. So it's still a safe option to do. There are specific guidelines at those institutions to donate uh, blood to adhere and keep everybody safe. So my humble suggestion to everyone is if you have the opportunity, please continue to donate blood. Yeah, this brings up another point. I'm really interested in your take on this, considering you're, you're right there in a hospital. You have a lot of people who are afraid of catching COVID at the hospital, so they're not coming in for some routine procedures. Maybe they have a little bit of pain, but they're not coming in to get it checked out. What do you, what do you say to those folks? So here's the thing. Come into the emergency room. Um, Every emergency room now has set specific policies so that individuals that come into the emergency room, come into triage, there's specific space that is maintained. Coupled with that, there are different areas in which if a patient comes to the emergency room and communicates they have symptoms similar to COVID, they're usually directed to a different aspect or a different waiting area as opposed to the um, population that is not adherent to those COVID 
symptoms. So you can please come to the emergency room. Don't delay any sort of concerns that you have. If you have chest pains, if you have any stomach pain, still come to the emergency room. We can still accommodate those concerns and keep our patients safe. Lots of people have been avoiding hospitals at all costs. It's good to get some encouragement to go and see a doctor for whatever is ailing you. The travel industry is just getting hammered. Will it rebound, specifically business travel? Is that a thing of the past? Joe Brancatelli is editor and publisher of JoeSentMe.com in New York. He joined us on the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Uh, Joe, I mean, let's begin with airlines. I mean, forever, their bread and butter has been that business travel, and now it looks like a lot of it is just coming to a halt. Well, it is all kinds of business travel, of course, Cisco. The independent traveler going one-on-one to a meeting, uh, your group business where you're going to conferences, and then certainly huge events like trade shows at McCormick Place. All of that is basically gone and gone for six months, a year two years, no one knows. So the airline simply cannot make it up with leisure travelers who are also not traveling. Right now, today, the volume was 25% of what it was last year. There is no travel industry without leisure travel or business travel. So we're nowhere. And that business travel, that's the most lucrative part of airline travel, to understand that correctly? Absolutely. It's always hard to to gauge exactly how much, because when you get on an airplane or check into a hotel, you're not asked, are you a business traveler or a leisure traveler? But the old 80-20 rule does seem to uh, be the, the appropriate approach to it. We Business travelers are a disproportionate percent of the revenue. Nobody argues that. And an even more disproportionate percent of the profits, maybe half their profits, come just from business travel. Uh, Leisure travel is often just ballast to keep the planes flying to accommodate the business travelers. But when neither part of uh, travel is working, and certainly no no part of business travel looking like it's going to come back soon, you have to wonder about the entire structure. Everything, as I say, from McCormick Place to all the hotels, you know, uh, on North Michigan and elsewhere in town, Uh, There just does not seem to be any place where the industry is going to get any traction for the next six to 18 months. And what's interesting about that from a sustainability standpoint is, okay, all those business travelers, they can just wait six months or 12 months or 18 months. But the airlines, the hotels, they can't hang on that long to wait for the business. Oh, absolutely. And the date to look at, and we, we spoke about this several months ago, Cisco, is October the 1st. The airlines were given money through the CARES Act to pay employees uh, through September 30th. On October the 1st, between the voluntary buyouts the airlines are trying to get and mass layoffs, the industry will be 50% smaller probably on October 1st than it is right now. And so for I mean, those airlines, I mean, is it just going to the credit markets? I mean, trying to, to make get some cash just to be able to survive for a while? Airlines have been doing everything, including United mortgaging mileage plus. They're literally mortgaging our loyalty to them, uh, loans they're taking out, um, every financial vehicle available to them they're doing. Um, and as I say, they've, been, they've had their employees paid by our tax dollars um, for, for, for months now. But come October 1st, they are on their own. 
and they they had started out losing a hundred million. They're burning through a hundred million a day in cash per airline. Now they're down to about twenty five million a day cash burn. That's simply not sustainable, especially when you do not see a recovery on the horizon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we won't know until then. But it seems like, as you mentioned, that October deadline. That's right before an election. You have a presidential election. You have every member of the House up for re-election. A lot of senators. You almost wonder if they're going to allow that pre-election layoff to hit or if they might step in and do something even in the short term there does not seem to be any appetite at all on either side of the aisle for another bailout of the travel industry partially because you have airlines like united and american saying yeah well we don't care whether it's safe or not we're going to stick you in a middle seat um a lot of routes have disappeared even though they weren't supposed to so i don't see where anybody wins the game and by the way layoffs come october 1st October 2nd is the last labor report before the elections. And then, of course, November 3rd is the elections. It's going to be 30 very interesting days in the economy and travel industry specifically. Absolutely. Something that has been fascinating, maybe you have seen this at stores around Chicagoland, signs, we need coins. It's because there is a national coin shortage. What in the world is going on? Matt Schultz, Chief Credit Analyst at CompareCards.com. He is based in Austin. Uh, Matt, I know I've started seeing signs pop up around town, and this is apparently a real thing, a shortage of coins. Yeah, it's definitely a real thing. And basically, when, when the economy partially shut down, the flow of coins came to a stop too. So people stopped doing a lot of the things that help keep coins moving. And over time, it ended up sparking a shortage. And that's that's where we are now. So what does this mean for businesses? I mean, they just get to the point where they stop taking coins, stop giving coins back? For for a lot of businesses, it uh, it has meant that we've seen signs all over the place of uh, people requesting that you just pay for exact cha- with exact change. Um, Walmart reportedly changed some terminals to accept only plastic. Kroger is supposedly offering change on like gift cards and loyalty cards only instead of actual change. So lots of things like that are happening. So it, it's a significant deal. It does speed up, I guess, more people moving. Obviously, you know, most people are using something electronic anyway. But for those holdouts, I guess it could speed that up. Yeah, it could. And I mean, some of it just is sparked by the pandemic as well, where instead of exchanging coins that have been in somebody else's hands, just using a credit card or a debit card, putting it in a terminal can be a cleaner thing. So there's, there's a lot of reasons behind this. There's this Wisconsin bank. I'm sure they're not alone, but there's a Wisconsin bank that's actually paying people to bring in its change. Yeah, that was a pretty interesting one. This bank is offering a $5 bonus for every $100 of coins somebody brings in, and you can earn up to $500 in bonus. I mean, that's that's an awful lot of coins to bring in, but the, but the point that they're making is bring all of your coins in. We need them, and a lot of banks and a lot of businesses are saying the same thing. Gives people an opportunity to finally clean out those coin jars and go in and make a little bit of money off of it. Exactly. I know I have mine, and I could probably stand to to cash mine in, too. Again, give us a little more on, I think a lot of people assume that if a business wants coins, all they do is go to a bank, but that bank has to get those coins from somewhere. 
Yeah, yeah. It's it's really kind of a supply chain thing where where the mint where um, where coins are produced actually slowed the production of coins for a little while at the beginning of the pandemic just to protect everybody. That's kind of ramped up more. But the Federal Reserve is who kind of manages the inventory of coins around the country and sends coins to banks and stuff like that. And so the Fed is reducing some of those orders. So banks just don't necessarily have as many coins as they normally would and they're running out more quickly. Wonder if they'll have to to sort of turn that around soon, given the fact that, I mean, when Americans see that there's a rough economy and they start hearing about running out of coins, uh, it's uh, sort of reminds you of those depression days where the banks ran out of money. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely intended to be a short term thing, and the, but the problem is that as COVID cases are spiking all throughout the country. Some places are are considering kind of shutting down again. We wonder if this uh, if this loop might kind of uh, come full circle. I hope not. But as for now, if you've got coins and you don't need them for some reason, bring them to a bank and they'll uh, they'll thank you. Major League Baseball finally back at it, but they're going to rely on big tech in order to get some things moving this new shortened season. Danny Ecker is a reporter at Crane's Chicago Business. He joined us during the WBBM Noon Business Hour to discuss some of the unique conditions going on this season. Uh, Danny, I mean, six months ago, we would have had no idea that this was going to go on. Uh, And now you have players playing in empty stadiums. uh, You have crowd noise piped in. I mean, it's just a weird situation. Yeah, well, you know, people desperate for sports and the leagues desperate to play and show their games on TV, more importantly. And, uh, you know, we we finally have reached what appears to be uh, a starting line here for the season. And, you know, still, I know there's a lot of people skeptical of how long it's going to last, but. Uh, the experiment starts this week. Yeah, even a few games will be nice. Uh, let's talk about big tech. How are they being called in to help with this season? Well, you know, it's obviously going to be a totally different experience watching these games on TV when they're empty stadiums. I think anyone who's watched some of these uh, exhibition games that have been played so far, you know, are, are there, can, can relate to how strange it is to see, you know, watching games. You can hear people talking, players talking. You know, there's there's a little bit of artificial crowd noise, and that's where some of these big tech companies are are going to play a role this season. Uh, Sony, for example, is a partner with uh, Major League Baseball. They're going to be uh, uh, working with the league to provide artificial crowd noise, similar to what you'd see in an MLB video game. Um, and the teams are actually required to use some form of of, uh, of fake sounds uh, during games and. You know, the, the league, gets each, each team has someone who's going to be monitoring this. And actually, the league's opening up to fans, too, on, a, on an MLB app to, uh, to cheer, basically, vir- you know, virtually, where you can, you know, if you want to vote for booing or cheering, you can in some way affect the, uh, what, the audio that's played in the stadium. So it's a, it's a fascinating uh, new experiment here. What about the replays? I'm thinking whoever's directing the TV broadcast, they're, they're not going to be able to have crowd shots now to sort of uh, make the time go by. Yeah, it's going to be strange. I think they'll find uh, some some new things to show. I know, you know, Major League Baseball has put uh, a lot of um, emphasis on, you know, advanced statistics and graphics during their broadcast to be able to show exactly how far a home run ball traveled or whatever. I mean, it's really, really uh, break down the game in new ways, and I'm sure that uh, the broadcast will focus more on that. Um, and obviously, you got some of these uh, 
stadiums and teams that are allowing fan cutouts uh, in the seats. So, you know, there's some funny faces, I'm sure. And I, I, I'm, I'm guessing that we'll see a lot of those uh, pop up. Any sign of a deal with the Marquee Network and Comcast? You know, uh, not that I've heard. I, um, I'm very, very curious. There's obviously, uh, uh, you know, over one and a half million other uh, very curious people who have Comcast who are uh, really hoping that by the end of this week that the Cubs strike a deal with um, with the carrier to, to show games. Otherwise, you're going to have a, a lot of people who were um, really pining for uh, baseball, Cubs baseball specifically, and uh, won't be able to watch it from uh, from their houses. So uh, it's you would think that they're going to reach a deal. There's been a lot of talk on both sides. They said they're close to a deal, but you know we've heard that for quite a while. So we'll see. Hopefully they surprise everyone with good news. Yeah, quite a game of chicken for sure. Thanks for joining us for another edition of the WBBM In-Depth Podcast, where we take a deep dive into a story we're telling on the air. As always, be sure to listen anytime for the stories that matter by listening to WBBM on the Radio.com app or on your radio. Thanks for joining us. I'm Cisco Cotto. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.